Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. Joining us now is the man who spent 19 years in the majors playing for the California Angels, Cleveland Indians, Houston Astros, Baltimore Orioles, Texas Rangers, Seattle Mariners, and Oakland Athletics. He was a teammate of four of the six 2019 inductees to the Baseball Hall of Fame, having played with Lee Smith, Mike Mussina, and Harold Baines with the Orioles, as well as Edgar Martinez with Seattle. He's also had many at-bats against all of the pitchers going to Cooperstown this year, so he's a perfect guest for us tonight is a thrill to welcome the man who is part of the Texas Rangers broadcast team for which he provides the analysis on pre and post game programs on Spot Fox Sports Southwest. The man they called Super Sub, Mark McLemore, this 5:40 a.m. Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Mac. How you doing? Hey, man. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for for you know making the time for us tonight because uh, we really appreciate it. And before we we break down the class of 2019, let's talk a little bit about your career. 19 seasons, over 1,800 games, five trips to the postseason. You played six different positions in your career. How big of a market do you think there would be for a player like you in today's game if you were a free agent? Man, I'll tell you, I don't know if I'd want to be a free agent in today's game, <laughs> the way things are going. But uh, I, I think uh, you're finding more and more teams that are looking for one, maybe two players that can play multiple positions, but play them every day. And that's, you know, for me, that's the key, being able to play those spots every day. So uh, I, think, I think teams are realizing the value of a player like that. We see it, certainly see it here with Brody Van Wagenen with, with the players he signed. He loves versatility. He loves his infielders to be able to play outfield. So, yeah, I, I think there'd be a pretty big market for you as well. Um, you look at some of the managers you played for. Gene Mock, Doug Rader, John McNamara, Art Howe, Johnny Oates, both with the Orioles and Rangers, Pinella, uh, Ken Maka. That's a lot of different personalities there. Which manager did you enjoy playing for the most and why? Uh, I'll tell you, I had a great time playing uh, for Johnny Oates uh, there in Baltimore and then uh, my time here in Texas, too. So I was with Johnny for about eight years. Uh, and I had Lou Pinella for three years in Seattle. I would probably say the two of those I learned the most from. I learned something from all of them, uh, either how to, how to uh, do something or how not to do something. So... I, I tried to learn from everybody that I ran across, but, uh, you know, I, I would probably have to say, you know, Johnny Oates. And the reason for that is Johnny gave me that opportunity to uh, become an everyday player again. When I first got to the big leagues with the Angels, I was an everyday player, uh, but then things didn't go all that well and ended up being a uh, platoon player and I actually got released a couple of times. Uh, but when I got to Baltimore, uh, Johnny gave me that, that second chance, that opportunity to go out there and be an everyday player again. 1993 and 94, as a member of the Baltimore Orioles, your teammates with a 34- and 35-year-old Harold Baines, who hit 313 and 294 those two seasons as a DH. And he hit 36 home runs over those two seasons. A lot of debate has been made over whether Harold Baines belongs in the Hall of Fame or not. 
Um, and I think it comes down to s some of the players that are not in the Hall of Fame. For me, a guy that jumps to mind uh, right away is Al Oliver. Um, you know, defensively at first base, Scoop had it, and the guy hit over 300 for a lifetime over many seasons. There are lots of those guys that you could equate to Harold Baines. Um, if you had to convince someone who never saw Baines play or some of his distractors why he should be in the Hall of Fame, what would you tell them? I would tell them this. Uh, ask the American League pitchers about it. <laughs> Plain and simple. Because those are the ones that had to face him. Since he was a DH, you asked American League pitchers uh, throughout his career if they wanted him at, at bat when the game was on the line, uh, who they wanted to face, who they didn't want to face. And they'll be the ones to give you that answer. Uh, but, you know, having a, uh, a ringside seat with, uh, with HB for a couple of years, man, he was a dangerous hitter. Even at the end of his career, he was still a dangerous hitter. And I think that's really, um, you know, one of the things that uh, qualifies him to be in the Hall of Fame. You know, and you, you could talk about this as well because you also played the position uh, quite a bit at DH also. And, and we'll probably talk a little bit more as we get to Edgar Martinez. Yeah. But obviously it takes a certain skill set to be able to you know, str you know, thrive as a DH. What are the special characteristics that you need to be able to come off the bench, not playing in the game, but just coming to bat every game and staying mentally sharp? There, you just said it right there. You have to stay mentally sharp. And for every DH, they have to find their own way to keep themselves mentally attached uh, to the game. Because if you're not going out on the field, you've got all kinds of distractions that, uh, you, can that you can let distract you. Uh, you can daydream for one and just not be in the rhythm of the game uh, when you're not playing defensively. So, uh, you know, Harold, Edgar, all the great DHs found a way to keep themselves mentally engaged in the game as though they were out there playing defense, uh, you know, in between at bats. And that's, I mean, that's a huge key. It, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. People may think, oh, well, all you have to do is hit. Well, yeah, right. It, it's that old cliche, easier said than done. It's, it's one, of the more, one of the more difficult things to do in baseball. Why do you think there's still such a backlash against the position when it comes to the Hall of Fame? You know, Frank Thomas got in, and, and you know, a lot of it, you know, the Big Hurt also played the field. But as we start now getting to guys who were solely DHs, there seems to be a little bit of backlash from the purists. Why do you think that is? Uh, if you really want to know, I'm going to be perfectly honest, 100% frank, uh, and I don't have anything against them. Uh, as uh, any individuals or as a group, but I think you have the wrong people voting. Period. <laughs> Plain and simple. Uh, there's no one better. There's no one more qualified to say who belongs in the Hall of Fame, other than uh, except living Hall of Famers. Period. I, I not, you're not, not mean you're baseball not writers been around for for, forever, and, and you know, hey, I, I like them. I have if, nothing against them. But I, I use this analogy all the time. If I, if I uh, sit and watch a, a brain surgeon operate for 30 years, are you going to let me perform brain surgery on you because I've watched it for 30 years? <laughs> you know, the, the no counter, argument the, from the, me the, there the, at the all. The counter argument that there's every time you say that and people make that argument, the two words I have for you in that is Bill Mazeroski, who in my opinion is not a Hall of Famer. It got put in by the Veterans Committee for former players. So you, I'm not saying somebody's right or wrong. I'm saying it's not necessarily true that there won't be, you know, 
bad There'll people, be controversy, but listen, Con- or the, the fact that, and, and we'll, we'll get to this when we get to Mariano, yeah. the fact that at one point, 23 people did not vote for Willie Mays. Which is, which is incredible. How, how does that happen? Yeah. How does yeah, that happen? No, I, my, my, <laughs> yeah, my, argument, my, argument here, my argument to that is there are more guys uh, that should be in that are not in than guys that are in that shouldn't be. Agreed. And is the stipulation? And, and that's probably four or five to one. Yeah, so, I, 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 I mean, sure. I, I'm a Fred McGriff guy. How do you have 493 home runs and yeah. you are not yeah. in the Hall of Fame? <laughs> right. yeah, but There's never just... been a hint of any improprieties as far as you know steroids go because he was playing in that era and not saying that those guys don't belong. That's a whole different conversation. <laughs> but you have guys that absolutely 100% belong in there that are not. And for whatever reasons, and I know some of those reasons, you have some people that may have a grudge against some some guy because that guy didn't talk to him or he screamed at him one time or, or refused an interview. Those things get held against players, and I've seen it happen time and time again. So I think, you know, to get rid of all of that is let the Hall of Famers vote. So, so let's, let's talk one question. Let's talk about the 94 team for a second. That, that was an incredible team. Mm-hmm. Because the 94 Royals had four Hall of Famers now. Lee Smith, Mike Messina, Cal Ripken Jr., and Harold Baines. You look at the roster, wow. first of all, and there was a fifth person on there who, if not for the obvious, would be considered, and that's Rafael Palmeiro. Right. And sure. how do you take a look at that, him not being even included or considered? And the other question is, you take a look at that team, and that was the strike-shortened season. Yeah. When the strike occurred, with all those players on the team, he was six and a half games behind the Yankees. You ever take a look and say, well, if we had those extra 40 games left in the season or 50 games, do you think he would have overtaken the Yankees? Uh, that's, that's a question that uh, uh, a question is never going to be answered. Uh, I think we were playing good baseball at the time, and we actually were in New York at the time uh, of the strike. But um, I don't know. I mean, at that point, we were six behind. So uh, they had obviously, obviously had been doing something well. And one of the things that I learned over – my five trips to the postseason, all of which were against the Yankees, is that they tend to play better in the second <laughs> half of the season and beyond. So uh, who knows? But we, we really had a good team. Uh, it's just unfortunate that had to happen. So A.J. mentioned the Hall of Famers, and, and two more are in this class, and one of those is Lee Smith. He was 36 years old that season. He led the team in saves with 33. He was still averaging more than a strikeout per inning. You also faced him five times in your career. You went one for three, struck out two times, walked twice against him. He was one of the most feared relievers of his era. What made him so tough to hit against? I, I know, you know, we talk about, you know, the, the Chapmans of the world hitting 100 but, you know, back in the day, Gibson and Smith, their fastball was just as feared uh, as, as Chapman's is today. What made him so difficult to hit against? I think for, uh, for me, it was his, uh, his accuracy, his location. I mean, I remember my first time facing him um, in Wrigley, and he threw me three pitches at 99 uh, down and away on the black. I couldn't do a thing about it. And I was looking for it there. <laughs> and just him being able to throw the ball where he wants to, when he wants to, I think that makes any pitcher deadly. It doesn't matter how hard you throw. And obviously when you're able to have that kind of location, accuracy, uh, that kind of command, and you throw that hard, it makes you that much more difficult to hit. There's no question about it. But uh, for me, um, his tenacity coming out of, coming out of the bullpen, uh, night in and night out, and for a lot of his career it wasn't just the ninth inning. Uh, which I think people uh, forget about, and they uh, they overlook that. 
you know, he was a, a you know six seven out guy uh, at times early in his career uh, going to the bullpen. So uh, just being you know tenacious, you have to be able to have a short memory, come out of that bullpen, grab the ball. It doesn't matter if you gave up, uh, gave get, gave up, blew a save the night before. Next night you get the call. It's like your first outing of the year every single time. So, uh, but I think there are a lot of a lot of things, a lot of traits that make up a, a quality closer, and then a uh, Hall of Fame closer. And Lee's got all of those. Ninety-eight on the black is pretty tough to hit for sure. Uh, uh, Ninety-nine. Ninety-nine <laughs> on the black. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, a third Hall of Fame teammate of yours from that Orioles team was Mike Mussina, and you know I've said this for for a long time. I know that for years the magic number has been three hundred wins for a pitcher. That number is never going to be seen again in today's era. And, you know, with the bullpen and and you know the amount of complete games and everything. Um, also, number of Cy Young awards is also a big key. I've always maintained that Moose is a Hall of Famer. He's one of the steadiest pitchers of his era. You faced him 58 times. You hit 250 against him. Um, you were also a teammate of his. A lot of people, you know, point to his work ethics, his compete, you know, um, level. What set him apart and gave him the ability to win 270 games over his 18 seasons in the majors? Uh, you know, uh, let me address the 300. 300- uh, win plateau that used to be that magic number. Yes, I think you're right. I think it's changed over time because of how bullpens are used. So guys don't have the opportunity uh, to go deep in, in, in ball games. Uh, teams are relying on the, on that bullpen to go seven, eight, and ninth inning. Sometimes even the sixth inning. Uh, but Moose was a guy coming up that when I saw him, I knew he had it. And what I mean by that it is that confidence that aura of being a number one pitcher. Now, when I first saw him, you know, come up, did I say this guy's going to be a Hall of Famer? No. I think there are very, very few guys that you can really say that about. I think the thing that you have to really take into consideration is, okay, longevity. How long can you do it? How long can you hold up? And I think early in his career, because he was, you know, well, throughout his whole career, he wasn't a, a very big guy, but he was much smaller when he was younger. But he took care of that. So, um, his body was able to hold up, and he was that dominant pitcher uh, his entire time in the major leagues. When you're 37, 38 years old and about to retire, and there are questions, well, we don't know if he's going to come back or not. You know, he can come back. We want him back, and the guy decides to retire. That tells you when teams still want you uh, after 17, 18, 19, 20 years in the big leagues, you're doing something right. And Moose did it. I mean, he was that tenacious pitcher. He didn't give up. He was coming after you. Uh, didn't matter who was up there. He wanted the ball. He wasn't coming out of the game easily. Uh, and he just had it. Uh, all the pitches, you know, three, four quality pitches that he could throw for strikes pretty much at any time. So uh, a, a great addition. 270 wins for me is, is like 300 in, in you know, 20 years ago. And he Absolutely. wasn't a passenger either. He won 20 games at the end of his career. Yeah. Like, right. it's, it's amazing. And not, yes. and not only that, I mean, he, he's the guy that youth coaches point to as, like, pitch-perfect mechanics. Right. Everything yeah. was just so sound yep. and so delivery was so smooth. He, you know, a, a guy who, uh, listen, and, uh, you know, I don't know what number he ended up with, but another guy that, you know, it, it was a top pitcher that, you know, Moose, is at a higher level, but another guy like that that doesn't get the credit is Jimmy Key. Jimmy Key was right. also that type of pitcher right. for me, mechanically sound, a, c- a competitor, and he never got the props that I think. Well, he, you, he you know who also is that '94 Orioles team who had 269 wins, but is not a Hall of Fame candidate is Jamie Moyer. 
Yeah, but it took him 25 years, years to do right, that. Right. He's been <laughs> around forever. <laughs> so, the but other, I, I, you know, the thing about, you know, Jamie is, you know, he doesn't get the credit that he deserves yeah. uh, because he didn't, th- you know, he wasn't yeah. breaking any radar guns. Right. right. You know what I mean? Great right. control. And, 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 I, and for me, I think that's just, I think that's sad. I, I really do. That. Definitely un- underrated. Played with Jamie forever as well. Uh, definitely underrated. You know, the other guy who we, we touched on it briefly because of the DH position that you were a teammate with was Edgar Martinez. Four years you were a teammate of his with the Mariners. You saw him as a 40-year-old, hit 294 and 24 home runs. Um, you know, what did you see from him that allowed him to have a lifetime average of over 300, to hit over 300 home runs, primarily as a DH. And I guess we're asking this for selfish reasons here in New York because we kind of think that Brody, you know, Van Wagenen is thinking out of the box and, you know, everyone's saying, you know, what, what's going to happen in year three of Cano's, you know, contract? And we're thinking, well, the, the, you know, collective bargaining agreement is up and maybe the NL will also adapt the DH and maybe that's what Cano will be. And, you know, maybe we'll see those numbers from him as a DH. So what did you see out of Edgar that allowed him to thrive at age 40 and to be able to really, you know, be the guy that is the prototypical DH? Well, first, I, I have to say this. Edgar Martinez messed up, I don't know how many hitters uh, coming into Seattle. Uh, and I say that in a, a very, very fun and joking way because you saw the success that Edgar was having, and there were so many guys that would try to emulate that. And they just couldn't, <laughs> they just couldn't do it. So their, their averages suffered. But that was uh, just one of those things I used to tell Edgar all the time. You're just messing guys up because they're trying to do what you do, and they just can't. Um, I'll tell you what, I think uh, watching Edgar for years, obviously our careers overlapped for, forever and ended up playing together our, our, pretty much our last few years in the major leagues. Um, what I saw from Edgar is he got better with time. Yeah. And I think if, you're, if, you're, if, you can, if you can be in the big leagues for 10, 11, 12, and you start going up that way, you're getting better. You figured some things out. Not saying you've got everything mastered, but you figured some things out. And I think the biggest thing that every player that has longevity figures out is they figure themselves out. They figure out what it takes for them to be ready at 7:05 every night and get it done. When you're, you know, 35 and over, and you have to do that travel, especially uh, that travel from Seattle, which we were both 35 and over uh, those last uh, few years of our career. That's very difficult. So taking care of your body, doing whatever it is that you have to do, obviously within the rules, to make sure that you're ready to go every single day. And that's not just physically, but mentally, because it it gets very, very tough uh, when you're traveling that distance from Seattle uh, to have your body and your mind ready every single day. And Edgar did that until the last day he, uh, until the day he decided to say, hey, that's it. So the two other players, you weren't teammates with them, but you uh, faced them a lot in your career. The first one being Roy Holiday. You faced him 26 times. You're 5 for 22 with a home run against him. He's a throwback to a different era. Um, He was able to go the distance 67 times in his career, which was 13 more than the next highest total in that 16-year span, which was by Randy Johnson. What made him such an elite pitcher and gave him, I mean, he, he did not want anyone coming out to the mound to take the ball from him. Why was he, you know, such a gamer that allowed him to complete more games than any other pitcher of his era? I think that's an athlete. He was like, hey, no, I'm getting this done. 
and he would go out there, and he obviously had to prove it uh, to his managers before they would give him that reign to say, hey, okay, you're in trouble in seventh inning. I'm going to come out, give you a breather, talk to you for a minute, and then let you finish this off. Uh, so, but I think you have to earn that, and I think um, you know just having that 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 aura about you, that 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 it factor. I think you see that, you know that, and if, if you're going to be a number one, you have to have that. And Roy was that number one. I think early in his career, he had to figure some things out, and it didn't take him that long. And once he did, man, was he tough. He's that guy, uh, along with Moose, where you're looking at the schedule when you're going to play him, especially making that East Coast swing. Okay, let me see who's pitching. Uh, I, might, I might have a little cramper, you know, a little <laughs> tight hamstring that day or something. So those are those guys uh, that are typically Hall of Famers that are very, very tough, and you're watching out for them. So you have to get yourself up and be ready for them mentally because if you don't, uh, they'll embarrass you. That brings us to Mariano Rivera, the first man to be elected unanimously to the Hall of Fame. You actually had uh, good numbers against Mo. You hit 263 against him. What was the key to an at-bat against him, and where do you rank him against all the relievers that you faced in your, in your career? I'll say this. The thing that you have to, that you have to hope for with Mo was, uh, number one, it wasn't the end of a road trip and you weren't out of bat because he was going to get in there in your kitchen and you were going to lose some bats. So hopefully you had some bats left to, to even try, try to do something with him. Uh, but, with, you know, you really had to hope that he missed his spot, which he did not do very often. You know, try and cheat a little bit. For me, left-handed, there were some switch hitters that would face him right-handed because of that devastating cutter. And I think he made a, a, a switch probably about halfway through his career where he started backdooring that cutter. And, oh, my God, you, I mean, you knew the cutter was coming for a lefty. Everybody, you knew it was coming. But then when he started backdooring it to left-handers and, and, you know, throwing it inside to right-handers, man, that, for me, that's what propelled him to the, his next 10 years in the big leagues and, and all the success that he had. But you really just had to hope he would make a mistake and that you would be able to get, you know, enough of the barrel on it to where it would find a hole. But, man, I, I, I definitely can't write a book on how to hit Mariano Rivera. That is absolutely not the case. <laughs> uh, lastly, you touched on this about unanimous, and we talked about you know, Willie Mays, and then one of your teammates uh, you know, came close. He should have been unanimous, and that, that's uh, Junior. But you played against McGuire and Bonds. You're a teammate of A-Rod's. You faced Roger Clemens more than any other pitcher in your career. Does McGuire, Bonds, A-Rod, and Clemens belong in the Hall of Fame if you were a player and you were voting? Yes, because until they prove that, that steroids uh, improves your vision, um, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't bother me. You know, I knew guys that were doing it when I was playing. didn't bother me one bit. I do not care. If it, you know, that was their decision to do the things that they did. Um, or didn't do. Uh, it had no bearing on, on anything. I'm not, you know, yes, they belong in there, all of them, every single one of them. Um, you know, other guys may have different opinions, and I know guys do. Uh, a lot of my friends here and former teammates may not agree. Most of them are pitchers, but, <laughs> hey, <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't change anybody's numbers drastically. I mean, you can argue to this point, okay, it gives you more stamina, so you're ready to go the next day. You still have to hit the ball. You have to hit the ball. You have to hit the ball. And a pitcher, you have to hit your spot, period. I mean, you have to do the things uh, that get major league players out as a pitcher, and you have to do the things to get hits 
uh, offensively. So I, I just don't buy into any all, uh, all of that stuff. I mean, there are just so many different ways to uh, negate steroids, greenies, all of that right. stuff. You know, I think you have to separate all of that stuff by errors, plain and simple. So, yes, I think those guys belong in there, and hopefully someday uh, they will get in there. Uh, and, you know, especially Rafi. Rafi's in an in yeah. even more elite club yeah. uh, than most players. I mean, what, three or four other guys uh, have the numbers that he has? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, Unbelievable. 3,000 hits, 500 homers. Yeah. I mean, he was <laughs> one of the most underrated players of my generation, if not the most underrated. You know, he wasn't he wasn't that guy that was going to go out and hit 60, but you better believe he was going to have 35 or 40 <laughs> and 100. For sure. So, and steal 20 bases along the way. Yep. And so... And when he did play the field, he had a great glove Love also. First base. Yep. Mac, first base. Mac, we want to take this opportunity to congratulate you on your forthcoming induction to the Texas Black Sports Hall of Fame in February. And we also want to uh, thank you for your time tonight and great insight on the men who make up the Baseball Hall of Fame class of 2019. Thanks so much, Mac. Hey, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much. Anytime. You got it. Mark McLemore, 19-year veteran of Major League Baseball, pre- and post-game host for the Texas Rangers.